So we've been studying stories about disabled people in the Bible, but today we're going to take a little bit more of a general look at uh, health and, and healing, particularly as how the Bible associates it uh, with uh, sin and salvation. Before we head down that path, uh, you know, I have been getting uh, hand therapy treatments for some time, <clears throat> and that's been good for me, but at the same time, it's also creating a little bit of an issue now between my insurer and uh, the hospital. So if you would lift that up to God in prayer for me, I'd appreciate it, because suddenly uh, I'm receiving medical bills for things that I thought were completely paid for. And uh, now they're telling me that uh, they may not be and I may have to pay them. <laughs> and that would not be good. I would not enjoy having to pay a couple more thousand dollars for, for the treatments I've received. It's not that I don't feel they're of value to me, I do, uh, but I started taking them and continued to take them because I thought the insurance company was going to pay for them. Uh, so. So, Rick, I see you from there uh, giving various therapy there from time to time. You work as a physical therapist, is that right? How many injured people do you think you see per week? Guess. Sixty people, maybe, a week? Okay. That would be a um, you know, sizable number of people to, to help during the week. How many of you have ever had physical, occupational therapy, somewhere else. Whoa, look at all those hands. <laughs> look at that, Rick. A lot of, uh, a lot of us have appreciated the, the kind of care that you've been giving, so thank you for doing that. Yeah, wow, okay. So some of you will remember, you know, when we started uh, a long time ago, we talked about a subject called the mystery of sin. And, and when we did that, we read this biblical passage that goes like this. The hearts of all are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts. Well, if the heart is full of evil, how is there room left for madness? Unless madness, in fact, is another way of characterizing evil. That evil is madness. It's not the other way around. It's not saying madness is evil. It's saying evil is a form of madness. And the Bible says this because it views sin as a type of insanity. So I want to make it very clear again, we're not saying that people who have mental health challenges are more evil than those who do not. What we're saying is that sin is a form of a mental illness. And we need to keep this distinction very clear in our mind because when we treat people for mental health challenges, that's a good thing. And we're not saying that we shouldn't or that they're sinners. Why in the world would the devil, why would we as human beings do things that we know we cannot find a good reason for doing? You've heard the story, right? of the time a friend of mine talked me into breaking into our teacher's desk so that we could steal the answer key for that final history exam. I'm getting an A in history. 
Does it make any sense for me to steal that? No, it does not. Why would I do it? Because I'm infected with a type of madness. And so are you. Now, many of you know uh, Ellen White. Uh, she's been categorized as one of the 100 most influential Americans. Uh, but she had something to say about this. She said, all sin is selfishness. Satan's first sin was selfishness. He sought to grasp power to exalt self. A species of insanity led him to seek to supersede God. That's a powerful statement, right? Just like Ecclesiastes, Ellen White is very careful. She does not say that insanity is sin. She says that sin is a species, a type of insanity. There are other types of insanity, right? But in her words, selfishness is a species of insanity. She also wrote this. The infinite value of the sacrifice required for our redemption reveals the fact that sin is a tremendous evil. Through sin, the whole human organism is deranged. The mind is perverted, the imagination corrupted. Is there any way then, as sinners, that you could not have a mental health challenge? Related to making bad choices? Is there any way? In fact, here's the interesting part. I've been able to locate four passages where she writes about the comp comprehensive impact that sin makes on human beings, and every one of those passages begins with the same word. Deranged. Deranged. Now, again, her point is, is not that insanity is evil, but rather evil is a type of insanity. Sin deranges us. It makes us crazy. It gives us mental health problems. As sinners, we, I think, should be less prejudicial as, as saved sinners, if I can use that term. We should be less prejudicial towards those people who have a disability, whether it's a mental health disability or a physical disability. We should be less prejudiced against them than other people because we know the pit that God has dug us out of. You hear me? We should be less prejudicial towards them. We know that God has dug us out of a big time pit. And we've been talking about disabled people for a few weeks. There is, this is a more general look at what the Bible has to say about sickness and salvation as being healed. So for most of my life anyway, it seemed to me that we Adventists have acted as if the only way that we should or could understand uh, sin and salvation is to see it through a crime and punishment model. Sin is a crime and God needs to save us from being punished. But there are lots of other ways that the Bible portrays sin and salvation. And one very strong model in scriptures is that of a person being infected with an illness and needing to be healed. We are infected with sin 
and we need God to cure us. Now, many cultures of the world also think, when they think about sin and salvation, they think about guilt and shame, and they think about fear. They don't think about crime and punishment, per se. And so, if you are a person who is battling fear for a good deal of your life, then you need to know that in the Bible, there is also this huge motif, this whole theme and topic in the Bible, which deals with fear as the problem that God has come to overcome and give you victory over. But the Bible often speaks about sin as a sickness, both as a mental and a physical health problem, and that we need to be healed from sin's devastating effects. We need to be healed. To see sin in this light, again, as I said before, has the benefit of reducing our prejudice, even sometimes our scorn towards other people who are not like us, who have some sickness or some disability. We should be able to look upon them and say, you're my brother, you're my sister. We are in deep in this world. It is a damaged world, and we, we need all the help we can get from God. We sinners are sick and disabled, according to the scriptures. And I'd like to show you that. Just a brief look at some of what the prophets have to say regarding healing. In Lamentations chapter 2, verse 13, we read, What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter Zion? For vast as the sea is your ruin, who can heal you? Now, there are two words that I've underlined in this passage that are extremely important, ruin and heal. So let's talk about the second word. We'll talk about the first one. But I want you to kind of remember this passage. Vast as the sea is your ruin. Okay? But let's talk about the second word, healing. In Hebrew, the word is rafa. Rafa, right? And it means to heal someone. And it primarily means something like this. If you have something that, that used to be whole and it is now broken or it is now sick and it doesn't matter whether the subject is a body, a human body, a creature's body, it doesn't matter if it's a city, it doesn't matter if it's an inanimate object like a pot, it doesn't matter if it's a group of people, if they are hurt or ruined, broken, they need to be fixed, healed, restored. Now, oftentimes when we think of being sin sick, of being infected with sin, we think of this as like a poetic term, you know, it's a metaphor for, for some problem that we actually have. But I would like to tell you that sin is way more than a metaphor when it comes to sickness and health issues, way more than just a metaphor, way more than just some poetic device to describe something terrible to you and to me. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 7, we read about Israel, your country lies desolate, your cities are burned with fire, in your very presence strangers devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. Sin sickness 
not only has damaged themselves and their bodies, it has also damaged their homeland. It is, they have been under constant attack by an enemy, and there's a lot more damage to the home environment and to the human body than what we might just imagine. It's no poetic device to describe their problem. They are actually reeling from a very deadly problem. If we were to continue in Isaiah chapter 1, we would read why. Once the home of justice and righteousness, she is now filled with murderers. The people who actually live in Israel, God's people, have no good morality. They have become the worst kind of people to live next to. How many of you would like to live next to a murderer? No, right? Nobody wants that. You know that that means that you, the, the, the environment that you live in. How many of you would like to send your kids to walk to school knowing your neighbor is a murderer? No? Me neither. In Isaiah 5, passage you saw in the bulletin, we read, Your head is injured and your heart is sick. You're battered from head to foot. You're covered with bruises and welts and infected wounds without any soothing ointments or bandages. Israel's sin sickness had affected every aspect of their lives. Every aspect. This was the condition of a dying patient, and only God and God alone could heal them. God and God alone could save them. In the book of Hosea, It starts out kind of gross, doesn't it, Ken? Yeah. Israel was like a body that is being eaten by worms and decay. That is gross. She was also about, according to Hosea, to be torn, she was about to be torn apart by a vicious lion. And if you know anything at all about the Assyrian people and their warriors, you know that they committed a lot of atrocities against the human race. They skinned their victims alive. They used the heads of people that they killed, you know, they cut off their heads, and they would stack them up in a big pyramid right at the entrance to the city that they had just destroyed. You think that didn't send a message? It did. It did. They engaged in mass deportation. They, they deported tens of thousands of Israelites uh, removing them from their home country forever, those people were never heard of again. So you think, okay, so if Israel's own problems, you know, created this issue, when, when Israel saw that she had sores and sickness, the sores and sickness of sin, when her streets were filled with murderers, what did she do? What did she do? In Hosea 5.13, we read, When Israel and Judah saw its sickness and its sores, Israel turned to Assyria, to the great king there, but he could neither help nor cure them. Now, <clears throat> what did I just say the Assyrians were like? Brutal people. Brutal, brutal people in war. And who did Israel turn to when they, when they saw their internal problems? They saw that they needed help. 
They made a deal with the devil himself. They went to the king of Assyria and tried to make a deal. Who does that? The answer is, we do. We sinners do. Nothing good came from that deal, as you can imagine. Here's what the Bible says they should have done. Here's what Hosea was calling upon them to do. Come, let us return to the Lord. He will heal us. He will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Only the great physician, right, could heal them. But restoration also meant repentance first. And though repentance is a gift that God gives to us, we still have to choose to exercise it. And if you're not willing to exercise the gift that God will give you, then you will not be healed. And your sores and your sickness, they will continue to drag you down. Right? But God wanted to heal them. That's the message we read here. He said in Hosea 7 verse 1, I want to heal Israel. And notice again, health images abound here. I want to heal Israel, but its sins are too great. Samaria is filled with liars. Wow, murderers, liars. Thieves are on the inside, bandits on the outside. Ouch. I came home one day from work and found that somebody had used a big screwdriver to pry out the door lock to my car. And then they took it to a locksmith and had a key made for it. Do you know what they were intending to do? Steal my car. How do you think I felt when I came home and saw it? Well, we use the word violated, right? We talk about that kind of experience. It's not a pleasant experience at all. And I'm sure some of you have come home, found your front door or back door kicked in. I'll never forget the time I went out to change the locks on this place. And believe it or not, I did this thousands and thousands of times, right? A day late. You know what I'm saying. I showed up as a locksmith to change the locks and add deadbolts a day late. What does that mean? Ben, what does that mean? Bad. It's bad. How about the time I showed up? I'd already been to this place before, so I knew exactly what they had. I was there for a different reason. This, this family had gone crazy early on for Christmas. I mean, they had Christmas gifts stacked up so high and in so many spaces around that Christmas tree. It was unbelievable to me. I thought, wow, this is going to be a whale of a Christmas. And then I showed up a day late. And it was before Christmas, and there was not one gift under the tree. Not one. Do you know what it's like to live in an area that thieves are on the inside, bandits on the outside? This is God's people we're talking about. In Hosea 11, we read about God's concern and compassion for Israel. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me. Why? 
because of his sickness. When I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by his hands, but he doesn't know and even care that it was I who took care of him. Now, the interesting part is, um, you know, I haven't used, uh, it's about time for an Apple Pencil thing here. All right, let's do this. Let's try green. Right there, there's that Hebrew word, rafa. Again, the one that, you know, I said meant healing. Well, here it seems to mean more than healing. It means I've taken someone who is, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically immature and weak and in an undeveloped state, and I've given them the ability to be strong and self-disciplined and mature. And that is what God has been doing with his people, Israel. He's been turning them into people who could live a, a good, productive, compassionate life. But it, Israel refused to learn that God had acted like a father or a mother towards them. And their life turned ugly. But despite that, God wanted to cure them, we read in Hosea 14.4. Then I will heal you of your faithfulness. My love will know no bounds. Healing, healing, healing. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall strike root like the forests of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive tree and his fragrance like that of Lebanon. They shall again live beneath my shadow and they shall flourish as a garden. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fragrance shall be like the wine of Lebanon. When I was walking around the new housing area that I now live in, you know, one of the trees uh, began to flower. And when it did, as I would walk by, I mean, I would just be overwhelmed by the incredible scent of the flowers. And, of course, overwhelmed by the sound of bees buzzing in that tree as they were enjoying also those flowers. But, you know, as I kept walking and the summer got hot, you know, and it wasn't as hot as it has been in the past, but I noticed that, you know, like my grass, my brand new grass that they put out there, it wasn't looking quite as good as the summer waxed on. You know, it was looking like it needed a little shot in the arm. And I noticed that people who had massive trees in their yard, their grass looked good. And why was that? because their grass was living in the shadow. Now, are you reading this Bible text? Living in the shadow of God produces the good life for you and for your neighbors. So in Hosea, we see how sin was portrayed both as a sickness and a disability. The people had an illness, and they were hurt. And their sickness and pains were not just metaphorical because their sin led them to be nasty people who would injure other people and they then got injured themselves by their enemies because of their sin. Way more than just metaphorical and poetic to say that sin is like an illness or a disability. When we look at the book of Jeremiah, the theme of sin as a sickness and salvation as healing occurs rather frequently, frequently through its pages. In chapter 6, verse 7, we read, she, she, meaning God's people, 
spouts evil like a fountain. Her streets echo with the sounds of violence and destruction. I always see what? Her sickness and sores. When in the spirit, Jeremiah hears the imminent battle cry of their enemies, he has symptoms, believe it or not, that sound like a heart attack. And if you continue reading the book of Jeremiah, you'll see that whatever kind of bad things they begin to experience, he experiences in their behalf, very much like God in that regard. My heart, my heart, I writhe in pain. My heart pounds within me. I cannot be still. I've heard the blast of enemy trumpets and the roar of their battle cries. And then in his deep anguish, Jeremiah cries out these questions. And they follow the model, not of crime and punishment, but of sin as an illness and a disability and salvation as a healing. Is there no medicine, he says, in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? Chapter 14, verse 19, he says, Lord, have you completely rejected Judah? Do you really hate Jerusalem? Why have you wounded us past all hope of healing? We hope for peace. And that word shalom means well-being. But no peace came. We hope for a time of healing, but found only terror. Now, we've talked about how in the book of Jeremiah, the language that is used to describe the attacker, uh, the Babylonians, is also the same language that is often used to describe God. And there's some reasons for that. We discussed that back then, and someday we'll do it again. This isn't the day I'm going to repeat all that. But clearly, the one Jeremiah believed, the only one that Jeremiah believed could heal them was God. In Jeremiah 4, 6, he says, raise a signal flag as a warning for Jerusalem. Flee now! Do not delay, for I'm bringing terrible destruction upon you from the north. Now, remember I told you there were two words in the first passage we wanted to talk about. One of them was the Hebrew word rafa, which means to heal, and we'll say some more about that. But there's also this other word that shows up, and it is shever, shever. Here it is translated as terrible destruction, terrible destruction. Now what's interesting about this word is it centers around three meanings. The first meaning, the first meaning is this, a broken bone, a broken bone. The next meaning is the shattering of pottery. So you break a pot, a clay pot. And then, of course, the third meaning is when somebody breaks down your city wall in a, an attack. But what's fascinating is all of this rotates around this meaning of, of an actual wound, of an actual injury, a broken bone. The word is used six times in the book of Jeremiah. That's more than one-third of all the times you would find it in the Old Testament. And clearly it's a very important word that Jeremiah uses to describe the condition of Israel. Terrible destruction. She's broken. Her bones are broken. 
In Jeremiah 51, verse 54, we hear who broke Judah's bones, Israel's bones. Hear the cry of Babylon, the sound of what? Great destruction, the sound of Sheber, the sound of Sheber from the land of the Babylonians. When a village or a city was attacked and destroyed, guess what happened? So this will help you understand that when the Bible talks about you know, sin as an illness and a disability, it's not just poetic or metaphorical. It goes way deeper than that. When a city, an ancient city was attacked, what do you think happened to the walls and to the, the roof beams of their house? They collapsed, right? The walls were the outside wall of somebody's home. So what happens when your roof and the walls collapse on you? Physically and mentally, what happens to you? Do you think you're going to come out of that unscathed? Physically and mentally? You're going to get beat up. You're either going to get killed or you're going to get broken bones. You're going to get cut. You're going to get actual wounds. That's the point that I'm making here. It also means that when the roof collapses, what happens to your clay pots? They shatter. Same thing that happens to your bones, right? This is why the same word is used to describe the broken bone, the broken pot, the collapsed wall. They all have this in common. They are actually damaged. The Bible uses this language to describe you and me and the damage that we receive from sin. The great destruction that happens here is a medical term. When Israel was attacked, they experienced actual mental and physical trauma. And when you and I, as sinners, are attacked by the poor choices we make, it does actual physical and mental damage to us inescapably does that. It's not just poetic. So when we read in Jeremiah 19.11, this is what the Lord of hosts says, as this jar lies shattered, so I will shatter the people of Judah and Jerusalem beyond all hope of repair. And there the word shever and rafag, and the hope of repair is the hope of being healed. Shattered, of course, again, means the broken bone. Regarding the fall of Judah and Jerusalem, we read in 2 Chronicles 36, 16, but the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's wrath became so great there was no healing, no rafah, no remedy to be had. Now, we've discussed this before when it talks about God's wrath, how the Bible generally paints out that, that picture of what that means. You know, that's the same term that's used to describe how God gave Israel its first king. And when you go to 1 Samuel 8, clearly it's a, you know, the people uh, choose a king uh, other than God uh, all on their own. When it also is used, the word anger and wrath is used to describe how God took away their first king, King Saul. And how did he die? Come on, church, how did he die? He killed himself. He killed himself. So when you think of wrath, you need to look at it a totally different picture than what you normally do. And so here it talks about how they mocked God. They mocked God's messages. 
until there was literally nothing more God could do to heal them. Nothing. So, regarding this word, rafa, healing in the Old Testament, it has a reference to a clay jar being smashed and then repaired, a reference to a bone being fractured and then treated, reference to a body being sick and then healed, reference to a city that's been collapsed and now restored, rebuilt. So it's a multi-purpose word, and it implies a sickness and a disability and more. So when Israel had these sores and sicknesses, what did the priests and prophets do? Well, according to Jeremiah, they put a Band-Aid on the problem. They said, listen, it's all going to turn out good in the end. God's going to help us, or, you know, we're not going to go down the tubes. There's nothing that, you know, you need to change in your life. Lamentation 2.14, your prophets have said so many foolish things, false to the core. They did not save you from exile by pointing out your sins. Instead, they painted out false pictures, filling you with false hope. What should they have said? What should they have said? Jeremiah 30, your injury is incurable, a terrible wound. There is no one to help you or to bind up your injury. No medicine can heal you. That's what they should have said to the people. There's nothing in this world that's going to fix your problem. You have to turn to God. God alone could fix them, and God alone would heal them. And not only that, when he healed them, guess what actually physically happened to their bodies and also to their cities? They were restored, right? They were physically, mentally restored. When they experienced healing, what would happen? Well, Jeremiah 33, Then the city will bring me joy and glory and honor before all the nations of the earth. The people of the world will see all the good I do for my people, and they will tremble with awe at the peace and prosperity I provide them. What is it that you and I need to do, very similar to what God was calling Israel to do? Come back, come back to God. I am guessing that every person here knows what it is like to have some element of your life that you wished you had better control of. That you know in your mind, in your heart, that this is the wrong thing for you to be doing and only, if only you could stop doing it. You know what that's like. This is your ticket out. Come to God with your sin and humbly confess it so that God can heal you, can heal me from our sin sickness. Now, the prophets have a whole lot more to say about sin as an illness and a disability and uh, about salvation as being a healing thing. Here's a fascinating one in Isaiah, you know. All, all it took, you know, in, in these troubled times was, dude, you have a coat. Let's make you the ruler here. And uh, the guy would say, I'm no doctor. I'm no doctor. I'm no healer. 
Salvation was understood as a healing, as a healing. And even when we think about Jesus dying on the cross there in Calvary, it is a health image that God uses to describe our problem. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, Isaiah tells us. First Peter says, he personally, Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And by his wounds, you and I are healed. Have you been healed by Jesus' wounds yet? If so, then it seems to me that your sin sickness has been dealt with. And what does that mean? Well, one of the things it should mean is that when we look at people who are sick, physically sick around us, organically sick around us, and even spiritually, when we look at people who are sick around us, when we look at people who are hurt and disabled around us, when we look at somebody who has a mental health challenges, it seems to me like we ought to be way more compassionate towards them because we know what it's like even if we've never had a broken bone, even if we've never had depression, even if we've never had cancer. We know what it's like because we've had sin, which is a medical problem for us. And it creates a lot of medical problems for us. And it damages our cities, the cities we live in. We should be more compassionate towards them, it seems to me. Next week, I think Scott, right, is going to talk about another disability in the Bible. So I'm curious as to what he'll say uh, then. I hope you'll come listen. Uh, he's going to take this theme one step further. And I'm just uh, thankful that he's doing it. Let's pray. Father God, as a sin-sick person, I want to candidly admit that I uh, have not only embraced many wrong things, done many wrong things, thought many wrong things, said many wrong things, but many times I've just repeated it and repeated these things over and over again. And I want to thank you for coming into my life and saying, you know, I can heal you from your sin sickness, and I can give you strong mental health. I can work in your life. Father God, I have been damaged, and I have damaged other people. And I, and I just pray that each of us will be able to admit to the same. And when we see people who are organically hurt, that our heart would go out to them and say, you know, not of your doing, many times, not of your doing. You've been hurt. I've been hurt. I'd like to come alongside you and help you. Father, give us compassion towards other people who are hurting and sick. 